Hello everybody, how are you? Fine. Uh, well, I'm very happy to be here with you today. First of all, I would like to thank you for the invitation to speak at this university, one of the most prestigious and renowned in Europe and the world. I would like to thank the Oxford Transitional Chapter Research Group and the Latin American Society who had devoted their time and effort to the organization of this talk. I would like to express a special thanks to Carolina Perez Coleman of the Argentine Embassy in London for her dedication and effort in organizing this visit. I would also like to thank you for being here because, as I always say, you probably have better things to do in this beautiful city. Regardless of this, you are here to listen to my talk on human rights in a distant country, Argentina, which means a lot to me. Finally, I apologize for my English. It isn't easy to me, you know, you are listening to me. I can only guarantee that I have done and will do my best to make this presentation. Once again, thank you very much. Mass violations of human rights have occurred over the centuries and, as we know, through the course of history, no consensus has ever been rigid on how to deal with them. Different methods have been employed, international courts, ordinary trials, extrajudicial action, general amnesties, private revenge, or simply consigning them to oblivion. History shows that dealing with mass human rights violations is more difficult than dealing with ordinary crimes, even when those responsible for those crimes have lost power and influence. A description of what has happened in Argentina from 1983 to the present will be useful. Memory and justice are more important than oblivion and impunity in building a society. We will talk about the permanent conflict between these concepts. As someone once said, a person is more likely to be tried for having killed one human being than 100,000. We will examine how much truth there is in this affirmation. We can use the 20th century as the prime example in the analysis of this problem. In the first decade, the Armenian genocide with one and a half million victims. In the fourth decade, the Holocaust with more than six million victims. And the Tutsi <coughs> genocide in the last decade with more than one million victims may be a symbolic farewell before starting a new century and millennium. We can also add the regime of the colonels in Greece, 300,000 victims in Spain during and after the civil war, and what happened in the ex-Yugoslavia. The thousands of victims in the Stasi in East Germany, in Asia, the abuses in Cambodia by the Khmer Rouge, and the mass human rights violations in the Philippines under Ferdinand Marcos. And we add what happened in Africa, both in Chad, with more than 40,000 documented homicides, the aforementioned case of Rwanda, and the events in Ethiopia with the Jergen movement. 
if to all this we add what happened in the Americas, particularly in the 70s, it is easy to understand why the 20th century has been described the century of war or the century of death. Let's look at what happened in Argentina. Argentina was established as a republic in 1853 when the national constitution was sanctioned. A, peer, a period of institutional stability began with the normal ups and downs of the birth of any nation. In 1930, that peace was shattered by military coup against Presidente Hipólito Irigoyen. This gave rise a period of a political instability marked by numerous military uprisings. The wars was the military coup of March 24th 1976, after which armed forces governed Argentina until December 10, 1983. The event I am talking about today took place during that period. Those began the darkest period in Argentine history. Homicides, kidnappings, tortures, disappearances, the theft of possessions, the abduction of children, exiles, threats, and rapes. Among the victims of this repression can be found workers, students, intellectuals, professionals, priests, the young, the old, men, women, in short, anyone. Thousands of victims were held in at least 340 clandestine detention centers. Let us think for a moment. When somebody wants to steal from us, kidnap, rape, torture, or kill us, we turn to the state for help, to its law enforcement agencies, the police, to provide us with protection before the event, or to its legal system, judges, courts, and prosecutors for justice after given that the state have the monopoly of the security forces. But let's ask ourselves, what do we do when it is the state that steals, kidnaps, rapes, or kills? Where do we hide? Who do we go to? Who protects us? As I have said, all this went on until December 10, 1983, not by mere coincidence, International Human Rights Day, when the democratic government of Raúl Alfonsín was sworn in, and with it, the full recognition of and respect for human rights came into effect in my country. The first act of the democratic government was to pass a law which declared unconstitutional and void the auto-amnesty law, enacted 90 days before the end of the military government. A presidential decree was signed on December 13, 1983, by which the members of the three, three juntas of commander-in-chief of the army, the air force, and the navy were prosecuted before the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces. On December 15, another decree was issued by which 
CONADEP in National Commission into the Disappearance of Person was set up. We will come back to this later. In 1985, the Federal Court of the Capital Federal tried and sentenced five commanders to prison terms through a public oral trial. This is, was unprecedented in Argentina for two reasons. It was the first time that military commanders had had to answer for their action before a court of law. And secondly, the proceedings were conducted orally. In Argentina, at that time, all trials were written. However, <coughs> increasing pressure for the armed forces forced the government of Alfonsín to pass two new laws in 1986 and 1987, the due obedience and full stop laws. This effectively meant the end of all the proceedings against members of the security forces <coughs> initiated until that moment. Only the sentences mentioned above remained in effect. But in 1990, Carlos Menem exercised his presidential power to grant a pardon to all those who had been convicted of or charged with violation of human rights. It is important to mention that at the time there was much debate as in the in Argentine law pardons can only be granted to those convicted and not, and not to those awaiting trial. Nevertheless, this pardon was upheld by the Supreme Court of the time. It appeared that impunity had won the day. Against this background, the Argentine Constitution was amended in 1994 and Section 75, Subsection 22 was added, which expressly recognized the constitutionally binding nature of all international treaties on human rights. Since the reform, we have been part of a supranational order to extend that the Supreme Court has recognized that Inter-American Commission on Human Rights jurisprudence must be followed by every national judge. In 2003, two new laws were passed. The first conferred constitutional status on the Convention on the Non-Applicability of the Statutory Limitation to War Crimes and Crimes Against Humanity, adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in 1968. The second repealed that impunity laws of 1986 and 87, declaring them irrevocably null and void. This allowed the reopening of the so-called mega cases, leading to further investigation into forced disappearances and related crimes. Finally, in 2004, the Supreme Court ruled that statutory limitations do not apply to, to crimes against humanity. Justice progresses detentions, prosecutions, and trials. Nowadays, there are cases pending in Buenos Aires and several provinces. Let's look at some of them briefly. The situation in Buenos Aires. In the city of Buenos Aires, after 2003, two mega cases were reopened. One is the Naval Mechanics School, ESMA case. 
and the other is known as the First Army Corps. I will briefly focus on the results of the investigation into the ESMA case as it has much in common with other cases. And secondly, I am the federal judge, the federal uh, judge in charge. In the ESMA case, events took place in the ESMA between 1976 and 83 were investigated. This include kidnappings, illegal imprisonment, torture, abduction of children, sale of goods belonging to the Chinese, and slave labor. 904 victims have come forward so far. 77 people have been arrested. 32 defendants have been charged with over 904 crimes. To have an idea of the size of the investigation, just consider that as of this moment, the case file has more than 200,000 pages. More than 208,000 photocopies have been made for the 23 lawyers, 112 victims and 77 defendants. As this case has victims from 22 countries, Repeat, this case has victims from 222 countries. More than 22 letters rogatory has been issued. There have also been forest traditions to Argentina. The ESMA case has another parallel investigations. The first is the theft of the Chinese goods. The investigation also deals with the theft of the possession of the detainees or disappeared people and their relatives. The military personnel or police usually forced the detainee and their relatives to sign over their homes or vehicles under threat of making the detainees the situation worse. Six defendants have been remanded to oral proceedings for 11 crimes. The second is the death flights. The so-called dead flights were a method of murder and disposal of the bodies of the Chinese. The victims were taken aboard fixed <coughs> aircraft or helicopters and were thrown into the river plate of the Atlantic Ocean. According to the testimony of other detainees, victims were first dragged and, de and then their weighted bodies were dropped into the sea. There are also cases for other crimes, such as cases of the abduction of children. There are also hundreds of cases of child abductions, mainly children born in captivity. In this matter, there have been <coughs> convictions for the crimes of retention and concealment of children previously abducted, together with the crime of the illegal deprivation of civil rights by means of the forgery of a public document as that is to say birth certificates. Operation Condor. Finally, I will mention briefly the investigation of an alliance to commit illegal acts such as the enforced disappearance of persons known as Operation Condor. The association was made up the countries of Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, Bolivia, Paraguay, and Chile. 
the illegal imprisonment of citizens in line with the aims of Plan Condor, in which the security forces of more than two countries participated. Is under investigation. 113 illegal imprisonment on foreign national have been proved. 30 persons have been charged and 15 are awaiting oral trials. The situation in the provinces. As we have said, there are many ongoing investigations in different provinces of the country. There are 779 defendants. At this moment, 13 trials for crimes against humanity are underway. Finally, 110 people in total have been convicted so far in Argentina. There is no doubt that neither criminal laws, procedural laws, judges, prosecutors, lawyers, the judicial system, the media, nor society as a whole was ready to deal with what had occurred. <coughs> let's look some let's look now at some of the problems Argentina faced and how we tackled them. The creation of the CONADEP. The, na the National Commission on the Disappearance <coughs> of Person, CONADEP, was set up in 1983 to carry out investigations into the events that occurred between 1976 and 83. Its president was the writer Ernesto Sabato. It received assistance and cooperation from the United Nations, the Organization of American States, and various countries which sent experts who helped, for instance, 25 bodies. It expected 340 clandestine detention centers. More than 1,400 people gave evidence to CONADEP in 15 provinces, providing countless testimonies which would be given in evidence at the trials that would follow. The CONADEP also had permanent offices in several embassies. The grandmothers of Plaza de Mayo helped to create the database at Duran Hospital to enable the identification and restitution of the children born in captivity who had been illegally adopted. So far, 102 children have been identified. The CONADEP report was published as a book with the title Nunca Más, Never Again. With, with an appendix containing the names of all the disappeared people. This book became a bestseller and has been translated into several languages. Despite passing the due obedience law and full stop law, it was, it was felt that the victims and their relatives had a right to know the truth about what had happened. That is why the truth hearings similar to the South African experience were held in several federal courts of appeal in the country. One of their characteristics is that the parties testified without any legal consequences. No testimony was given under oath and therefore there was no criminal liability. The participant could not be obliged to incriminate themselves in their testimony, testimony but they did have to appear before the court. 
One of the problems facing courts in trial for violation of human rights is the question of how to apportion responsibility. There are two theories propounded by German jurists. In one, the material author of the crime is held responsible. In the other, those who, who use the state apparatus of power are held to be the author of the crime, despite not participating directly in its commission. In practice, this made no difference in Argentina as the Argentine Criminal Code punishes equally perpetrators, accomplices, willing participants and instigators. Since the beginning of the trials in Argentina, there have been a number of extradition requests for different military personnel to stand trial in other countries, either under international law or because of the victims' nationalities. Spain, Sweden, Italy and Germany are just some of the countries that have requested extraditions. Normally, the courts detain the person and after formal identification, their cases are sent to the executive which decides whether or not to grant extradition. For instance, the case of Alfredo Astiz in December 2001. For those who are interested, I can explain this, this case or any other at the end of the talk. In my courts, I rejected a decision upheld by the Supreme Court, the German extradition request for Jorge Videla and Emilio Macea, as they were being tried in Argentina and they had already been convicted on some counts. In the Argentine legal system, the insured party victims of crimes can participate directly in the trials. That is to say, they employ lawyers who sit alongside the state prosecutor and have the right to examine evidence, question witnesses, and possibly request sentence. In some cases, the private prosecutors were any person who could prove direct interest. This caused problem as, as uh, the number ran into the hundreds. In the ESMA case, for instance, another parameter was followed as the private prosecutors were organizations such as Abuelas de Plaza de Mayo, Asociación Permanente por los Derechos Humanos, Asociación de Detenidos Desaparecidos, el Centro de Estudios Legales y Sociales, not only in the role of representing individuals, but also representing the association itself as participant in the struggle for human rights based on their links with the victims. For instance, in the French nuns case, some of the disappeared were the founders of Mothers of Plaza de Mayo. Preservation orders who have been issued on the ESMA and other places belonging to the Navy or Army or that are suspected of having held the Chinese or disappeared people whose bodies are buried there with the aim of either preserving the scene of the crime or converting the premises into memorials in the future. Civil redress. In recognition of the responsibility of the state, the federal government orders the payment of damages to the victims of the illegal repression. Amicus Curiae. 
the figure of Amicus Curiae was permitted in this investigation. An Amicus Curiae is someone not a party to a case who volunteers to offer information to assist the court in deciding matter before it. As some unidentified bodies were found, an office of forensic anthropologist was set up. These were in charge of determining the identification bodies, cause of death, and any other information to demonstrate whether it belonged to a disappeared person or not. This team was also in charge of identifying the remains of Ernesto Che Guevara in Bolivia a few years ago. In all this investigation, there have been important exchanges of information and cooperation between Argentina and other countries, for example, Spain, France, and Holland. Cooperation was essential in the trial of the naval officer Adolfo Silingo, whereby Argentine witnesses who not travel to Madrid to testify gave video evidence. Conclusions. This has been a brief review of the event which occurred in my country with some of my personal and professional experiences. Clearly, we have not been able to cover all aspects of the cases. I also apologize since the time has been short and your patience long. As we have already mentioned, there have been many problems all over the world in bringing those responsible for crimes against humanity to justice. Everybody agrees on the seriousness of the crime and most of us agree that the perpetrators should be, should be tried and punished. As we have already seen, the legal precedents are not numerous, either in quantity or in quality. I wish countries were as, persi as persistent in defending human rights as other states in violating them. <coughs> that is why we must value the effort made by Argentine judges, who, when the law allowed it, arrested, tried, and sentenced those responsible for these crimes and continue to do so. A lot has been done, but what is done is always too little in the field of human rights. The most important thing is that all the experiences learned from the trials in Argentina should teach us a lesson which at the same time should also be a mission. Human rights should not be just part of a political agenda and therefore subservient to electoral, circumstantial or personal necessities or interests. They should form part of a permanent national policy, whatever the government. They are, they are non-negotiable. The dedication, effort and suffering of so many people should not be in vain. In the meantime, we will continue to work as we have been doing. Thank you very much.